0: the message series, uh, this is the final message, it's all in your head. Uh, Have you ever said that to someone? That's all in your head. Just you don't know what you're talking about. This morning we're going to deal with a subject in this final message that all of us relate to. Now let me say this, how many of you would admit that you or anyone else that you know may have a blind spot? May I see your hand? All right, how many of you do not have a blind spot at all? You, you just are perfect, okay? Everybody has blind spots. How many of you found out that the person that you married had more blind spots than you realized after you got married? May I see your hand? That's right, the blind spots mounted up. It's amazing how that happens. How does God identify blind spots in our lives that we may not be aware of? How do other people share with us, these are areas you need to improve in. These are areas that you need to just make some adjustments in, in your life and in your behavior, and if you make those adjustments, you're a great person now and you'll be an even better, better person You see, what I'm going to share with you this morning is all of us, uh, you know, feel like, okay, we're doing pretty, pretty well. Uh, There is something that can be a blind spot that we're not aware of sometimes, and it is the power of money. And I'm going to identify that in a moment. There's nothing wrong with money. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Nothing wrong with money. The love of money is what? The love of money is what? The root of all evil. evil. Well, what is that? How is that demonstrated? Well, I don't love money. Just ask me the question. I'll tell you. I don't love money. Well, maybe that's a blind spot. Maybe you do, but you just don't realize it. What are some areas in our lives that we can look at as a result of the love of money or the love of anything else in our life and that we're all affected by it's called discontentment you see we like more money because we like more money because we need a bigger home we need a newer car we need nicer things we need a beach house we need a mountain house we like to travel and we find ourselves we like to be called a millionaire and we say, I'm, I, you know, I'm a little bit discontented because surely those are all the things that, that I like. Uh, the lottery, you remember, it was more than a ba- $1.6 billion the other day. Someone in South Carolina had the winning ticket. Anybody read about that? Let me ask this question. Do any of you know that it's your relative? We can gladly help them with their tax write-offs by charitable gifts to the church and missions organizations. But they lined up, and one I read, they were lined up for a mile. A mile, it's further than the front of the church out to 98. That's not a mile. But they were lined up for a mile to do what? Why do you think they were standing in line to buy a lottery ticket? Anybody know? because you can't win without a lottery ticket. And they thought, I don't know how many, what it is to a million or three million or four million. It's just, hey, people are buying. Why? Because they said, hey, there you have it. That'll set me right up. Can you imagine? I'd be a billionaire. Well, you know, let me ask you this question. So you help me out? If you knew that that if you left your spouse and your children and your home for one year, that if you did that, that when you got back after that year of leaving your spouse, leaving your kids, leaving your home, you got back, that someone would write you a check for a million dollars, really a million dollars, do you think you would consider that? I know what some of you are thinking. Where's it at in the lobby that I can sign up? I mean, a million dollars, I'd be willing to sacrifice my time with my little honey, my little munchkins, if I'm going to be a millionaire. Well, would you? Well, let me ask you another question. What if you had a one in 500 chance to say, one in 500 chance, if I take that risk, I got one in 500 chance that I'll die trying to take that chance and one in 500 to get that million dollars do you think you would do it say one in 500 I'd I'd be willing to risk buddy one in 500 I'd go after it or maybe in something uh, dangerous you would say well you know what I'd do it for one in 100 I'd do it for one in 100 if I I thought I'm going to risk dying I'd do it for one in 100 no questions asked such a risk And then others of you, you, you'd do it for one out of 10. You'd say 90%, I won't get hurt. 1% chance I'm going to die. You better believe it. I'm going after it. I'm going after the million dollars. Now you just think about that for just a moment. Boy, look what I could do with that much money. Here's another question. How much money would it take for you to compromise your integrity? In other words, would you be willing to tell one whopper, ball face lie, just one, compromising your integrity for a million dollars, lying on a job interview, lying about how much education you got, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, for a million dollars, would you say, I'm willing to tell a ball-faced lie? After all, Jesus forgives. And I'll compromise my integrity. You know, most of us would not sell our soul we wouldn't sell our character for any amount of money. We wouldn't sell our lives for any amount of money. But we often give our lives away, often one decision or one day at a time, pursuing things, wearing ourselves out for things, trying to accomplish those things that simply do not last. And so that's why in Mark's Gospel 8:36, he said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, and yet forfeit his soul. In other words, sell his soul. What good is it that he, that he goes out and gains everything that life could offer? And then Jesus is simply not satisfied, and he said, all right, folks, Victory Church, and those of you living and listening online, Luke 12, 15, he says, be on your guard against all kinds, not just the one that you recognize, Not just the one that you identify, but he said, you be on guard against all kinds of greed, all kinds of greed. Why, you'd never come right out and say, I'm a greedy person. You wouldn't do that, most of us, but there could be a blind spot that's there that we don't recognize unless the Holy Spirit were to identify that and say, you know what? I've got my priorities mixed up. I'm living more for the here and now and what I can have here than what I'm doing as it relates to things of eternal value, things that really bring bring pleasure to Almighty God. And we know that my life, your life, does not consist of the abundance of things. So we say, okay, I'm listening, Pastor. Well, here's another question. What does the Holy Spirit, in the busyness of your activities last week, What does the Holy Spirit have to do to be able to come in and say, hey, sit down, let me talk to you? What does he have to do to do that? Can he just speak to your heart and say, hey, I want you to stop what you're doing right now. I I just want to speak to you, and I want you and I to have a couple of hours. Well, if I knew it was God, I would. Well, that's the crazy thing, isn't it? Sometimes we don't have the sensitivity to recognize the voice of God because we're too busy engaged in the here and now. But what would the Holy Spirit have to do? Or would he have to create a tragedy? Would he have to turn your life upside down? Would he have to knock you over with a two by four to say, hey, I've I've been trying to get your attention, pulling on your heart, nudging on your heart, just continually moving you forward, and you just won't pay attention and move in. Well, what does he have to do? You see, there's nothing wrong with wanting nice things. Somebody say amen. Nothing wrong with having a nice house or want a better house. But it's bad for those things to have us. Let me say it again. It's bad for those things to have us. And if you ever lapse into a place where you say, if I had more, I'd be happier. Or if I were wealthier, my life could have more meaning and I could do the things that I wanted to do down at the church. Or if I had a different spouse, I'd have a lot more money and be happier. Give it up. The challenge is none of us would sell our soul for any amount of money, hopefully, but far too many let their guard down in our culture today to go for the here and now, to gain a little bit more, and sacrifice the intimacy with their family and with God and the Holy Spirit. So think about it. You see, coming to church, coming to church is for you and me. Coming to church is for, here's the thing, if you don't show up to praise him, how many of you know the trees will praise him? The rocks will cry out. Coming to church and giving him that amount of time when many churches in culture, they say, don't squeeze people, don't encourage them to come, they're already too busy as it is. Are we ever too busy to spend time fellowshipping and worshiping together? I didn't think so. You see, American culture will control us and cause us to believe that we're on the right track and we might be missing what God has for us in a country mile. Think about it. What does God have to do? How excited do we get about being invaded by the Holy Spirit and understanding that? there are two things I want to share with you quickly that might interrupt you that something that we do that we may not realize it, but let me point it out. Number one is comparing. The enemy will cause you to compare yourself with other people. You know, we compare what others have. We compare what what other individuals wear. I heard a woman say the other day, boy, well, I saw, did you see so-and-so? I said, yeah, his buddy, she looked me up and down wondering what I was wearing, et cetera, et cetera. I said, women don't do that. <laughs> Jesus gave a parable and he said, let me tell you how it works. He got a group of individuals, and they came at 8 o'clock in the morning. Now, I'm going to contemporize this story. He said, all right, everybody, uh, those of you ready to go to work, 8 o'clock in a few minutes, I'll give you $50 for the whole day. Well, yes, sir, master. $50 for the whole day. We'll agree to work the whole day. Okay, go for it. You get an hour lunch break, 8 to 5. Okay. At noon, another group came in and said to the master, We need a job. We'd like to work. He said, okay. You work the balance of the afternoon from one o'clock to five. I'll give you $50. Well, those that started at eight o'clock, they're listening. But they came in at noon and they got paid $50 when it was knockoff time. Another bunch came the last hour of the day at four and said, we need a job. He said, sure, I'll hire you. Go ahead and work a full hour and I'll give you $50. And buddy, when it became quitting time, those that started in the morning at eight and those that started at noon, they said to the master when he gave them their $50, hey, this is not right. This is not right. I want you to know I started at eight o'clock and worked till five for the $50. Others said I started at noon and ended at five for the $50 and that, that should be, the, the people who came in for one hour should not get the same amount. And they compare themselves. And here's what Matthew's gospel, the 20th chapter, verse 10 says, So when these came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them received what they had agreed upon, and they began to grumble. Why? Because they compared to what someone else was making And the enemy says that will steal your contentment. Here's the second one. It's called coveting. Oh, I never, I'm not, I don't covet anybody. I don't covet anything. You might think this message is simple, but coveting is a bigger spiritual giant than comparison. We look at the church and see, here's what happens. The love of God and the work of God has to compete with your life in this world as opposed to your commitment to the church of Jesus Christ. You say, well, I commit myself to God. Let me just tell you straight up and straight out, you're not any more committed to Jesus than you are your local church because that is the bride of Christ. That's the arena where the test is made. Come on, help me out and preach now. And I'll say, well, we're sad you came back. I'm back anyway. Think about that with me. How do you show that? Deuteronomy 7, 25, don't covet the silver and the gold or you will be ensnared by it. In other words, you'll be trapped. Silver and gold is not silver and gold. It is a principle. It is that, but it is a principle of this. You're snared by by things that represent themselves as enemies of your commitment to Christ. It could be silver, it could be gold, it could be schedule, it could be anything that ensnares you. You see, you might look and say, let's go look at model homes. And your house is 15 years old. And you go look at model homes. you got a two-bedroom house, you got one, one bath, you got a nice kitchen, you got a nice garage, et cetera. But you don't have granite. You go look at the model home. The model home's got four bedrooms, got three and a half baths. It's got granite on all the counters in the bathrooms, double sink in the bathroom granite, all of that kind of stuff. It's got all the modern amenities that you could ever imagine. And then you go back to your little two-bedroom, one-bath house, and you say, I didn't know it, but I live in a shack. I mean an absolute shack you say, here's what we're going to have to do. We're just going to have to, we're going to have to work and get us a bigger and better house. Nothing wrong with getting a bigger and better house. As long as you don't covet and say, that is what I want. Satan wants to steal our life by stealing our contentment. And we live in a world today in a culture that is not content. One of the stats that I read 13% of the people who go to work every day in our culture are not happy. 13%, or or pardon me, only 13% are happy about going to work. Do you know what that means? It means the balance. 87% aren't happy to have to go to work. And it was 12%. And but we had that little recession, and people said, I really need a job. I was unemployed for a while, and now I've got a job, and I'm at bounce one percent. Wh- here's where we are in our culture. Help me now. Financial discontentment. Financial discontentment. You happily, financially. So you say, I need more, I need to expand here. So here's what you do you work harder, you work longer. You work days that are days off. You work, hey, I got to go work on Sunday. Nothing wrong with all of that. But if it comes a habit in your life to the degree that becomes your lifestyle, you will find yourself in financial discontentment. Let me move on. Relational discontentment. You may have been married for a while, and you understand that after a while you look at your husband, lady, and you begin to pick him apart. You say, look, you got got your little roly-poly belly now. You act like you don't care about yourself anymore. You hardly shave about every other day and no woman wants to have an old crusty sharp beard rubbing up against their face at all. Get back away from me. And then all you do is come in and get the channel changer and you sit down and you change the channels and look at television and I I come in and then you want me to fix you a big dinner. I'll tell you what, I'm beginning to regret I ever married you. You ain't nothing but a squandering bum. You say, for real, more than you know. But what should you do? You ought to say, hey, I'll find something to praise them about and give them compliments and praise, and resulting of that will create a behavioral change. And you men, you men, you, you want to complain about your woman, your, li- your spouse. You know, you need to be treating her like she's your girlfriend all the time. Somebody say amen. Amen. But you know what you do? You say, listen, I married a perfect 10. That shape she has, good Lord have mercy. But she's put on weight. She's got bubbles that are sticking out. As a matter of fact, Pastor, she's got three drawers in the bedroom that's got all kind of spanks in them. She's got spanks from here to here. She's got spanks from here to here. And she's got a spank for each leg. And it takes her about an hour to wiggle in them to try to pour it all in and cover it up. That ain't anyone. You might say to me, How do you know anything about spanks? Because if I'm going to talk about them, I went down and I looked at them. I thought, Dear Jesus, how in the world do you get a woman that. That is a spank, no wider than that. And she's this wide. How do you get them in there? It's called a miracle, friend. But you know what you ought to be saying? I thank God that she cares enough about me and herself to try to hide some of that. And as a matter of fact, who says that a man can't go down and buy him a spank to cover all this up? Y'all with me? But well, what should you be doing? Relational discontentment. And if that keeps up, you begin to have separation and begin to have emotional distance between the two of you. And before you know it, you see the worse a whole lot more than you see the better in the two. Here's number three circumstantial discontentment. But well, what does that mean? You're not happy the way things are, period. You don't like the way things are on the job. You don't like the way things are at home. You don't like the way things are in the house. You thought you'd be on financial easy street by now. You thought you'd have enough money to retire. You thought you'd be married by now. You thought that when you got married, you'd be happy. You're sick and tired of everything, of others getting the breaks, and you don't get them, and that's called circumstantial discontentment. And there are a whole lot of people out there. Number four, spiritual discontentment. You know what? (coughs) That's a two-sided sword. One is, God, I am discontent with, I'm discontent because I want more of you. I'm not content with all the intimacy. I want more intimacy. I want more of you. I'm discontent about my relationship with you. So I'm going to work. I'm going to get better. I'm going to love you. I'm going to press in. And then the flip side of that coin is is your discontent because you're not happy and the least little thing upsets you. And you think everybody else prays and their prayers are answered, but not yours. And you wonder why your prayers are not getting, getting through. And then I preach a message like this and you leave and you'll be ripping apart the sermon and the messenger of the sermon before you ever get home. And then you'll begin to find complaints with the church, your coworkers, your boss, and everything else. That is discontentment that relates to spirituality. You see, you control your own happiness and your own joy in your relationship with Jesus. And if your relationship with Jesus is challenged, hear me now, every other relationship in your life will be challenged unless you're living in a fantasy with someone. What did Paul say? Paul said in Philippians 4, verse number 11... He said, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance, and I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me the strength. What's the key there? We all know it. I've learned how. I've learned how to be content. Paul says, I know what it is when I was broke, and when I had plenty, when I was starving, and when I was in fact well fed. But he said the secret to finding balance is you learn how to be content. And how do you do that? Here's what you do. You lay all those challenges and say, God, I'm laying those things on the altar, and I choose to say that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And what I'm facing now is no accident to God. God, I'm laying it all right here on the altar. Listen, friend, no marriage is going to make you content or happy. No amount of money is going to make you content or happy. I can prove it. No popularity is going to make you content or happy. Not getting your way or getting your way all the time is not going to make you content and happy for a lifetime. And it's a tool of the enemy to say, you might be blind to living a life that is below par in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Ecclesiastes 6, 9, it says, Better what the eyes eye sees than a roving of appetite. This, too, is meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. So how can you have balance? How can you say, I enjoy material possessions? How can you say, I'm content with what I have, but I believe I could improve? Nothing wrong with that. I'd like to have a nicer set of clothes than what I have now. Nothing wrong with that. But here's when it becomes wrong, is when what it takes to get all those things are sacrificed for the time the Holy Spirit would like to help you spiritually mature and grow in your passion and relationship with Jesus. And I'm going to share that with you Proverbs 15:15 15, 15, All the days of the oppressed are wretched but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. Better a little with fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Great wealth with turmoil. In other words, here's what he's suggesting Things will make you wretched and unhappy, but peace with God passes all understanding, but that peace does not come automatically. There is a path that you have to take to condition yourself. And here's what he says. If you live the kind of life that you did not sacrifice relationships You didn't sacrifice intimacy and time with your kids and or your grandkids. If you happen to be the man or the woman that work was the number one priority for you, that working overtime was the number one priority for you, that being gone all the time in order to make ends meet was the number one priority for you, here's what will happen, my friend. Your kids will grow up and they will have kids. And listen carefully. You will one day get to the place and say, you know what? They lived their life right under my nose. And I never had a relationship with my own kids. I gave them everything. But now that they're grown, they hardly know who I am. You know what that scripture says? You'll be wretched. But he said, cheerfulness comes when... You look at your life and your family and you say, you know what? I had opportunity all the time to make more money, to make a greater name, to gain greater possessions, but I did it at the expense, but I did not, I did not do it. I want you to know I love my kids. I had prayer with them. I had devotions with them. I gave them attaboys. I let them know that I love them. I talked to them all the time about the challenges they were facing. As a man, I was a true spiritual leader doing my best to give them the influence that they needed. And now that I look at my grandkids, because I raised my kids in church, and we had a family altar, and I look at my grandkids now, and my grandkids understand what it means to pray and why they need to go to church. And I look at my grandkids, and they're not walking the wide road that's easy to walk. My Even my grandkids walk the narrow road because they love Jesus, and that's our family history. You'll look then and say, wow, I want you to know I may not have achieved everything I could have achieved, but here's what. I did. God gifted me with relationships, gifted me with my family, and I want you to know I did my best and honored God through all. You'll be a happier person than you could ever imagine when you look down or look back on it. And don't think for one moment time is not flying. So if that's a blind spot for you, change it now better ecclesiastes 4 6 is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind so the love of money is the root of all evil but there's some blind spots if we're not careful are you content today is your family content are you an individual that says you know what My kids know the Bible because I taught it. Are you content to know that, well, I want you to know I was asked to do something on the job and I I said I can't do it because it would compromise my faith. It meant that my job might have been challenged, but I want you to know my relationship with Jesus and my Christian character is more important than that. I'm standing strong in my testimony. I'm not going to waffle around. I'm going to be strong. I'm not going to compromise. Rather than saying, oh, this once, I'll cave in because God forgives. You know what you just did? You sold a portion of your integrity in your life for that. And the writings in the Word of God says it's not worth it. I have said to many a family, many, who were about to move and said, we're giving consideration to move. And if this hits you, I... It is for somebody and pastor we just came to seek your advice and your counsel and i asked them what kind of church is there well we don't know what kind of church do you think your spiritual growth do you have friends here you connect with absolutely our best friends are right here in the church okay what about your kids Are they at a place in their spiritual walk and in their relationships that they can be exposed to a move somewhere else that they know no one at all? And you're having a problem, maybe one of them right now. I want you to give that consideration. And I can tell you there have been many that came back and said, we didn't make the move. Because when we answered those questions and sat down with our kids, they wept and said, We don't want to move. We have friends in the church and we have relationships. And so, Pastor, when we checked about a church, there was no church that we went to and visited that we felt comfortable with. Can I tell you something? Having more is not worth the sacrifice of looking at your family and saying, Thank you, Jesus. My family and my God is important.. Amen. Well Pastor, you're saying we can't move, we can't I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying, listen to God, let him weigh in Amen. on those decisions. and remember this, that getting a little bit more sometimes is not worth it when you can become content with what Jesus has given you. Amen. Amen. Well, I know well, pastor, I'll tell you what, I didn't think you'd ever say that. if I could go make more money, Go move somewhere else. Make more money. You'd want the tithe. I'm not crazy. What I'm going to tell you if you go to the other church right there where you're at and you move, they get your tithe. That's where you worship. And then I'm going to say, but you can send some offerings back here to the church. We don't mind that. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? I think you've heard enough. Father, in your name, we thank you. We've listened. And maybe there's just been some blind spots in our lives that we weren't aware of. And just maybe this message awakened us to some of them. All of us admit that time's flying. It's getting away quickly. It just seems like yesterday that our baby girl or baby boy was born. And now look, he's 5, 6, 10 years of age. Just seems like our children were little kids together. Now they're all teenagers and one's getting married wow, Lord, look what you have done. How wonderful is that? And they all come over to the house, and they're not on dope, not on acid, not on drugs. They all come. They're all well-groomed and looked and think, wow, thanks, Mom and Dad. Thanks for holding us to the, thanks for holding us to the line. Thanks for uh, challenging us when we were teenagers to get way out there. Thanks for saying no. Thanks for praying for us and not just condemning us, but really praying for us. Money cannot buy that. But there may be some right now in this room and maybe some listening right there online, Father, that really, really need some changes that only God can help with. And maybe there's some that have sin in their life and they're not 100% following you. Well, we know that's hard to do to say, Lord, you have everything, but we only give him a small compartment. Well, that won't work either, but the devil makes us believe that. Someone asked those of you here in this room and those of you listening online and watching just to repeat this prayer. Would you do that after me? Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly Father I, thank you for your love. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your redemption. Thank you for your redemption. And I thank you for your grace and mercy. I thank you for Here I am asking you for forgiveness. forgiveness. I've made some mistakes, some Some I knew about, some were ignorant. ignorant. But today today, I'm humbling my heart heart. and I believe believe that by faith faith, you hear my prayer. prayer. So with your help, help, I I will listen to your voice and endeavor to implement some changes, some changes in my life that will bring glory to you that will bring glory and to cause you. your name to be lifted up, and your name to be I, pray this up. I pray this prayer in Jesus name. In Jesus name. Amen. amen, amen. Look this way. I had someone the family has separated the last couple weeks. I can tell you how behavior, I can tell you how when they're separated and the one that leaves the house, I can tell you after experience how that person's going to act. I can tell you based on experience how the one that's left at home is going to act. And I can tell you that over a period of time, the enemy will get and this one's behavior will change and this one's behavior will change and the one that didn't want the other will change that they want the other again, I can every single time paint that picture and it takes a miracle of God and when I hear someone say my life's falling apart I can't breathe, I can't work I'm I'm just miserable, I'm mesmerized I wish I'd have done better etc, I'm I'm no good I'm yada 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 And I can say your spouse is not your redeemer. Your marriage is not your redeemer. If you fall in love with the redeemer, he will help you make wisdom decisions that will bring to pass a resolution. And you're not going to get the marriage that you had back because if you get that marriage back, you will wind up at the same place you are now. So there is enough that needs to take place in your life and in your marriage that creates an atmosphere for a better marriage. Somebody say amen. Amen. But carnal nature will get in the way. I'm telling you, be careful of your blind spots and allow the precious Holy Spirit to speak to you and allow God to say, this is the way, walk ye in it. And if you're here this morning and you find yourself <coughs> making some decisions that you really are confused about, making decisions that now you're suffering from, or you say, I'm about to make this move and I, I hope it's God, don't move until you know it's God. Let me say it again don't move until you know it's God. And if you said, God, I pray to prayer, I need God. To just cover me with his blood or Lord I've got a teenager that is so out there I'm just pleading the blood over him. as we sing this song whatever you need to come forward with out of an act of obedience you do that now and watch what God will do so let's see what happens would you do that let's sing the song we'll wait on you for just a few moments Heavenly Father I thank you today this message has been one that's like a sticky it sticks to us it challenges us and it challenges our mind and our heart and God we know carnal nature will cry out and rise up immediately and say he's not talking about you it's not you're not it's not you But Holy Spirit, if you convict a person, it is the love of God initiated by the Holy Spirit to identify a need in my life you want to fix. That comes from God and not from the enemy. So I pray we'll pay attention. I pray that we'll leave here today and say, my behavioral pattern needs to change in order to accommodate God. The blind spot that the Lord has revealed to me, God, I want your help in. I'm going to need your help. And God, I'm I'm, I'm worried about... If I do that which corrects my behavior, it might cost me something. Well, God, if we don't, it may cost us more than we could ever imagine. And it might be eternal. I pray you'd speak to this wonderful congregation. Meet every need of those online right now. Touch them and anoint them and strengthen them. And then bring us back. God, I mean bring us back into the house of God tonight. In the house of God to worship you. Our behavioral pattern is when the house of the door, house of the Lord is open, then we came, oh God, forsake not the assembly. And God, in the New Testament, they met all day long, hallelujah. I pray that you would speak to all of our hearts and meet every need and we give you praise, honor, and glory in Christ's name and everybody said, amen. God bless you. Smile at somebody you don't like. Thank you for being here today.